Listener Production. We start today by acknowledging the lands and waters of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their ancestors past and elders present. I acknowledge that the First Nations across the continent have never ceded sovereignty and that the First Nations are the first lawmakers. Welcome, this is Black Matters, a podcast that is about First Nations matters and why they matter. I'm Teela Reid, First Nations advocate, lawyer, and proud Wiradjuri and Wailwan woman. If this is your first time joining us on Black Matters and you're wondering who I am and why we spell it B-L-A-K, go back and check out our previous episodes. There's no MC today as he spends time with his beautiful newborn, but we do have a pretty incredible guest that I'm absolutely stoked about. Now, it's hard to forget the women's FIFA fever that gripped Australia over a month ago. And even while World Cup news still continues to make headlines for some controversial reasons, you can't deny it was such a special moment for our nation and future Tillies. So today we're going to take you back there as we speak with the first Indigenous Australian player to score a goal in any FIFA Women's World Cup and was on the team for our latest World Cup here, Down Under, in Australia. It is proud Adawa and Burrapara women... Kaya Simon, welcome to Black Matters. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. And yeah, you touched on a few things there, but most importantly, most recently was our World Cup campaign, which I'm sure yourself, along with the rest of Australia, came along on that journey uh, with us. Definitely a memorable moment for me uh, throughout my career. And to see the country unite and come together, I think, for a female sporting event like I've never seen before was pretty incredible. It was so incredible. Look, I'm from Western New South Wales and obviously now based in Sydney, but I went home a bit through the World Cup and there was little Aboriginal girls, little Aboriginal boys who were screaming at screens uh, going for the (laughs) Tillies. And it just was, I think, the inspiration our nation has absolutely needed. Before the FIFA Cup, you compared this moment to when Kathy Freeman won gold at the 2000 Olympics. Um, how does it feel? How was that moment? Yeah, look, I think I relate to the the Kathy moment because I, I would say that was probably the moment in in my life that inspired me. And uh, watching Kathy run the 400 meters and winning gold on home soil, um, I watched it when I was nine years old in my family lounge room. Yeah, that moment was the moment that I thought to myself, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be an Australian sporting woman. I want to represent our country, go to Olympic Games, World Cups, whatever that looks like. And yeah, fast forwarding down the track 23 years later, we as a team, the Matildas, had the opportunity to do that for our mob, for the country. You know, we had the opportunity to show what women's football is all about, to show what female athletes can do and to show how powerful women's sport is in terms of capturing the hearts of the nation, bringing everyone together. And, you know, you had male football and teams, you had non-football people, you had the, you know, loyal football fans as well come together. So everyone jumped onto it, supported us. And, yeah, I'm really proud that I was able to uh, be a part of the squad and, and also, you know, be a part of history as well. Because I remember the 2000 Olympics too, But I feel like this was even such a deeper connection to the Tillies team. And it was 
honestly, I don't think I can remember in my adult years what has been more of a unifying moment for us. I remember like just even walking yeah. past pubs in the middle of Sydney with grown men like cheering and like, you know, <laughs> really kind of backing the Tillies. And you recall that moment with Kathy, and there are some synergies here between what you have done as a team and what Kathy did. We all remember when she won gold at 2000 and she carried both the Australian and the Aboriginal flags after her win. And we know that this is the first World Cup as well within which FIFA allowed the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags and the Maldi flag to be flown. How was that emotionally? Yeah, I mean, it was a privilege for me, really proud moment. I yeah, got told by our football federation, you know, shortly before it broke uh, out to, to kind of the general media and public. And yeah, I felt like I was really privileged for them to come direct to myself and, and Lydia Williams and, and share the news, you know, obviously us two being the First Nations players in the Matildas, um, something close to both of our hearts. And, yeah, I guess it's an indication of the future and, and you know, that uh, not just, you know, our mob but also big organisations like FIFA are recognising our people, recognising our rich history and culture. And I think it's a turn in time and it's the start of a, a new beginning that, you know, moments like this is things that change things for the better down the track. And yeah, for me being a proud First Nations woman, I was so elated and and proud to stand there on the pitch and look up into the stands. Because usually I think previously before it's been my family who have held and draped the Aboriginal flag over the stands in the stadium. So for it to be officially recognised and up there with the national teams playing uh, on the day and in every stadium, I think, was, yeah, a milestone moment for football, for FIFA, for our people. Totally. And you're from a big mob, eh? Like, what was it like <laughs> growing up? Did you always have this dream of becoming a f- professional football player? Yeah, look, I mean, my 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 mob, yeah, spans, you know, all over New South Wales, really. I've, uh, my mum's from... Uh, Armadale, my dad's from uh, Tari Way. So my, my roots are, you know, here in New South Wales and I myself grew up in Western Sydney. So family are, are spread out all over the place from up north in Tamworth to, um, you know, down south. And my mum's one of 13, my dad's one of uh, four. I've got a pretty big extended family. I grew up in a rugby league family. I think so much, so many of our mob either go into league or, or AFL and I think that's just in our, in our blood. And for me, it was the exact same. My dad played rugby league. My older brother, Aaron, played rugby league. And uh, it was just a, a friend of mine uh, who was my next door neighbour at the time when I was eight years old, came over and said to me, oh, do you want to come down and play for our local soccer club? And my, my parents jumped at the opportunity being a hyperactive <laughs> you know, little little kid running around the place. Uh, they thought, yeah, why not? Let's throw her into another, uh, you know, another sport and hopefully burn some of this energy off. And, and that's how I got introduced to, to soccer or, or football. Yeah, I think it only took me a couple of sessions for me to go home to mum and dad, you know, along with the Kathy moment where I turned to them and said, this is what I want to do. I want to play for Australia one day. From such a young age, I was so determined to do that no matter the odds stacked against me, no matter the fact that I didn't see many female role models on, on TV, in newspapers, there was 
barely any female role models to look up to. I had to wait to watch Kathy at the Olympics to actually be able to watch a female that I aspired to be like one day. And that's kind of how I got into it. And, you know, the rest is history. In this most recent World Cup, you have endured some some injury, but you it was clear that this Tilly's team was so united and supportive of each other. Like there was such a sense of collective there. Having not due to injury making the pitch this year, how was it behind the scenes really still being part of that team and collective commitment to get our nation through? It was mixed emotions for me, to be mm-hmm. honest, because obviously suffering the serious knee injury of the ACL, MCL meniscus in October last year, I fought tooth and nail in terms of working tirelessly for six, seven hours a day in terms of throughout my rehab to get myself back into a position to be vying for a spot. And, you know, grateful enough that I, I did get myself in a position to be se- selected and then unfortunate that shortly later I, I had a couple of setbacks which didn't enable me to be able to be available to take a pitch. So it was just too big of a risk. I went on an emotional roller coaster. I guess, throughout my rehab. But then, you know, even most recently in terms of in the World Cup itself, you know, we were on such a high as a team, um, uniting the nation, bringing everyone together. We were making and breaking records and making our own history. But then at the same time, for me, it was a personal battle in terms of, you know, being there and experiencing that. But at the same time, not being able to fully, I guess, be able to contribute in a football sense on the pitch. Mm. So I think that was challenging for me, but ultimately what trumps everything is the fact that I was so grateful to even be a part of the squad. It wasn't meant to be to play minutes and contribute on the field, but I think um, the thing that unites us so much as a team is that everyone within that squad you know, you know your role, you support each other in no matter who's the 11, no matter who's the game changes, no matter what your role is. I think that was pivotal for us as a team because it's never just a few select players that win you a tournament. It's, it's, you know, the wider group, it's the 23 players, it's the support staff, it's all the little small finer details, I think, that help you be a successful, well-oiled team. And I think um, Tony, our head coach, really... You know, he was a dictator and the guider with with that, you know, making sure everyone still felt their value within the team, no matter if they were on the pitch or not. That really did contribute to how successful we were, how much of a close-knit group we were as well throughout the tournament. Ultimately, you know, we didn't have anything to show for it in terms of a medal, um, you know, losing out in that uh, bronze medal match. But I think it was already a much bigger picture than just walking away with a medal or a trophy. But the everlasting impact that this tournament will have on the future of, you know, young female and, and, and male footballers growing up, aspiring to play for our country one day, you know, the older generations as well who haven't experienced football before. I yeah. think it was definitely a pivotal moment throughout our Australian sporting history. The impact both you and Lydia had on that team and our nation was so visible. Despite that kind of prep you've done and the emotional roller coaster you had been on to make that squad, what was so clear was so much Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander support in those stands. I remember in one of the penalty shootouts, and I don't know if you can remember this, but 
you know, because it might be just a whirlwind. But the <laughs> Aboriginal flag was flying high behind one of the goalposts in that long penalty shootout. And so many, like, kids in my kinship were like, it was because of the black energy. Like, <laughs> they were so stoked to see that. And then in the next games, we hadn't seen kind of the visibility. So I just think, like, I appreciate you being so vulnerable and transparent about that. But the same time, the conversations we're having in families, the conversations we're having with our little berets and jarjums and kids in our kinship yeah was so much about the impact that you and Lydia had on that squad. And you're not just a player in football. You are also part of the National Indigenous Advisory Group. Can you tell us a bit about that advocacy? Yeah, so that that opportunity kind of came across my desk maybe yeah, a year or two ago. Basically, in football, we've never had an Indigenous Advisory Committee before. So within Football Australia, um, there's a couple of key people in there that are, are driving the acknowledgement of, of First Nations people kind of in their involvement within football. And, you know, that started with a you know, Indigenous advisory group or committee. And, yeah, I was approached to be a part of that as a current player and speaking from my own personal experience, I guess, from, you know, a young First Nations woman coming up the ranks. And like I said, I, I was, a, you know, in a football, uh, sorry, rugby league kind of space. I didn't even know about football until someone outside of my family circle introduced me to it. So I think it's a matter of coming together as a group and and discussing, okay, how can we get more of our First Nations boys and girls into football? So it's not, you know, we're always battling against the rugby leagues and the AFLs, but can we also provide opportunity for our young mob to be able to come into a football clinic, come into uh, the local football club, give it a go before they write it off and just choose another code. And I think, you know, as a current player, I'm hoping that I can share my experiences as well and, and hopefully a little bit of knowledge to help guide ultimately Football Australia to see what plans can we implement, what strategies and also what programs can we implement to really, I guess, grasp our young mob who are looking at, okay, what code do I want to play? Do I want to play football, rugby league, AFL, union, netball, whatever it may be, the first step is to to give an opportunity for those young kids to be able to at least give it a go. And if they like it, then they can follow a path and a clear pathway. If it's a, a kid from the bush, it's how do I get from there mm. to then through this program to then this pathway. And then ultimately, if the goal is to play for a national team, it's what does that look like? You know, you can't be what you can't see. So if that's using female and male role models, First Nations role models to show this can be a pathway for you and then these are the path, paths that you have to go on to get to that point. Ultimately, that's a, that's a bigger picture and a bigger goal, but there's a lot of small little details that go into that. But um, I'm really passionate about that because I went through that experience myself you know, getting myself from being that eight-year-old girl who wanted to play for Australia to then being, you know, 32 years old now, having played 15 years for my national team. And, you know, within that time, it's been unfortunate, but there hasn't been a whole lot of other young Aboriginal kids that have come through mm. the ranks to play for our national teams. And, and for me, knowing how much raw talent and ability our mob have, just raw sporting talent and ability, it would be amazing in five, ten years if we saw an influx of 
Aboriginal boys and girls coming through the footballing systems, coming through and playing in our national teams and being uh, representatives of our country, like myself, like Lydia Williams. Yeah, you've described lots of common journey a lot of our Aboriginal kids go through with that raw talent. I think there's a lot to be said about trying to create those pathways, also making people feel included. Yeah, I definitely think there needs to be more in terms of investing into the sport, into grassroots programs, um, making it more feasible for young kids, families, families of two, three, four, Mm. five kids that want to play into the sport and being able to make it, you know, as, like I said, feasible and approachable for families to be able to put their kids into sport because I look at it in terms of the opportunities that I've received throughout my career in terms of travelling the world, seeing different cultures around the world, meeting new people, uh, being able to represent my country over 100 times all of these amazing things that I've been really blessed to be able to experience. I wouldn't have been able to do that without sport. And I think it's such a powerful vehicle for, like you said, systemic change and be able to really utilise that um, to change things for the better within our society. And um, there's so many opportunities that you can get from from sport. And um, like I said, if we just put our hand in our pocket a little bit more in terms of investing um, from a government level, from associations level, from whatever, mm-hmm. the, the, pe- the big decision makers, I think, in this. Um, I, I think that there will be a lot more of a positive impact and the future of the game will be left in a better place um, for, for years to come. Well, I am honestly in awe of you. You're such an inspiring role model for so many First Nations women and women generally. Like the Tillies must have been the most inclusive <laughs> queer team. Like it was just the most <laughs> amazing thing to to really witness in the mainstream. So thank you all for that contribution and really unifying our nation. What's next for Kaya Simon? Yeah, what's next? So um, I'm finishing off the last phase of my knee rehab. Um, so hopefully be back on the pitch playing soon. I'm in the process of sorting my next club move. Hopefully that will be sorted and wrapped up. We can't announce it on Black week. Matters. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not been yet been signed off. So I would love to, but it's um it's not been signed yet. But if I'm on in the next coming weeks, I'll be able to speak more to that. Yeah, look, getting myself fit and healthy for the next coming season, whether I'm I'm fit and ready for the next Matildas camp in October, I guess that will be decided uh, in weeks to come. I'm actually looking at running my all-girls Kaya Simon Football Clinics month uh, in partnership with Marrickville Football Club. Um, and that's basically Oh, the inner girls. west. Here we go, guys. Yeah, yep, yep. So for girls aged 6 to 16, uh, it's a two-day clinic. Uh, you can sign up on my website, www.kayasimon.com, or it's on my Instagram bio uh, link. Basically, it's a clinic for all girls. I really wanted to create that inclusive environment in terms of girls coming in if they're you know, really wanting to be a Matilda or first time trying out football, whatever it may be, everyone's welcome. And yeah, create that comfortable environment, I think, for females to flourish and to meet like-minded footballers and and other girls their age yeah just really want to give back uh in terms of yeah creating that environment for the young girls to come in and enjoy themselves have a laugh have a kick about and hopefully leave loving football and and pursuing their dreams 
Thank you so much for everything you do. And at the end of each episode, we like to talk about a First Nations word and what it means because language matters too. And I think I have the best word for this episode and for Kaya. And it's not a first language, but it is an Aboriginal English word and it is deadly. I think that (laughs) it has been so deadly to have you on this episode. I think it speaks volumes to the... You know, you can have an English word, but black fellas can put their own um, bit of flavor and meaning onto it. So it's been so deadly to have you here. It's kind of like the word where like black fellas can say it, but white fellas can say it unless you kind of have permission to use it in a particular yes. context. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so no, it definitely. It has been so deadly. And don't forget, there's also been heaps more of uh, Black Matters episodes for you to listen to. Why We Acknowledge Country, the history of treaty and voice. There is a lot there for you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Kaya, for coming on Black Matters. Thanks for having me, Black Matters. Go the titters and tillies. <laughs> <laughs> See Love you that. next deadly. time. <laughs>